The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by High Echelon. You can find them at highechelloncpa.com. High Echelon PC is a nationwide CPA firm in Atlanta focused on a great client experience. High Echelon provides top quality work with total transparency, so clients always know exactly what they're getting. They believe accounting doesn't need to be complicated and that clients should always get the experience they deserve, which includes top-notch accounting, tax and payroll services, timely communication, complete data flow, and the best automation and security. Book a call or drop them a line at their website, highecheloncpa.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Elemental Altitude Training Center. You can find them at elementalaltitude.com. Elemental Altitude is Atlanta's best and only altitude training facility. At Elemental Altitude's state-of-the-art indoor training center, they are capable of simulating elevation up to 24,000 feet. Training in the thinner air and lack of oxygen prompts an increase in red blood cells, meaning that more oxygen can be delivered to your working muscles on race day. Athletes undertaking all sorts of goals from rugged mountain climbs to flat sea level marathons to Ironman triathlons train in the hypoxic environment created at Elemental Altitude. I trained there several times myself ahead of my successful race at the London Marathon in 2022. In addition, Elemental Altitude hosts a variety of physiological testing such as sweat testing, blood lactate testing, VO2 max testing, and a variety of metabolic testing which can tell you your resting metabolic rate and the types and amounts of fuel you're burning at different training and racing intensities. Drop them a line at info at elementalaltitude.com if you have questions or you want to set up an appointment. Again, their website is elementalaltitude.com. Finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at bluepineappletravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel is an agency of experienced travel advisors who help you design the perfect trip. Blue Pineapple Travel advisors are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. They love to help people plan their travel, whether it's for a race, a family trip, a weekend getaway, or the trip of a lifetime. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group inside the U.S. or abroad, Blue Pineapple Travel can plan exactly the trip that you want. Find them online at bluepineappletravel.com and see some of the great places that folks who have worked with Blue Pineapple Travel go on their Instagram, at bluepineappletravel. Thanks to all of our sponsors who help us bring you the most pleasant exhaustion podcast. Everybody, welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by High Echelon PC, Elemental Altitude Training Center, Blue Pineapple Travel, and MPE Coaching. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a college professor in the midst of grading final exams, and I'm the father of twin boys. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a CPA in the midst of closing out my first <laughs> full year of high echelon and i'm a mom to three girls who uh complain that i work a lot so <laughs> can't have everything girls <laughs> can't buy you all those hanukkah presents if i'm not working it's, it's real here. One, one thing i appreciate about you michelle and one thing that 
lines up so well with the fact that you're an accountant is that things have to like follow. And so longtime listeners of the podcast may have noticed this, perhaps if they're also accountants, that Michelle always parallels what it is that I say about myself with what it is that she says about herself. So if I say I'm George Darden, father of twin boys and a college professor, she'll say mother of three girls and a CPA. If I flip That's that right. around, she'll flip it around. So I think it's interesting. I say in the midst of grading finals and you likewise say in the midst of finishing up a year. <laughs> That's a big deal though. Congratulations. Thanks. Um, yeah, I'll say that the amount of focus that I have to following whatever order you introduce yourself in <laughs> when we podcast is arguably greater than the ability I have to focus on any one <laughs> other task at any other given time. Like I am so tuned in to what you're doing in the order that you're saying it. And then I have to remember it as I figure out what I'm going to say. It's a puzzle. It's like a brain puzzle. If you could bottle like that level of focus and and use it even one hour of the rest of your day, you would be able to take care of everything and then just chill for 23 remaining hours. Yeah. And I'd probably (laughs) never lose my keys or my AirPods or my American Express card. So, yeah. All of those good things would be good not to lose. So very well done. You know, it's funny. We uh, we we talk on this podcast a lot whenever we interview people. And I always think it's interesting to, thinking about who those people are and what they bring to the sport and how the way that they are influences uh, the way that they approach endurance athletics. And one of my all-time favorite examples of that is when we interviewed Haley Chura, uh, pro triathlete, um, a few years ago. And we should probably call her up. It's been a little while. We should check in with her. And she's had some changes in her life uh, since we last talked to her. But um, uh, I interviewed her and she's an accountant by training. Um, And she grew up uh, swimming. She grew up as a swimmer. So doing the get up super early in the morning, swim laps, all that sort of thing. So we get to the end of the interview and I say, what's your favorite workout? And she goes, well, running, I like to do mile repeats, just running back and forth, back and forth on this one (laughs) road. And I'm like, okay, sounds fantastic. What's your favorite bike workout? And she goes, well, I like doing hill repeats up and down, up and down. Up and, down. <laughs> and I was like, okay, clearly this is her mind, right? Like this is how her mind works. Like, like I have this workout to do. Here's the boxes, make it fit in. And, and it's the same mind that, that makes her an accountant, I'm sure. So um, very good. I have a much different mind. One that Spotify tells me makes me an alchemist which I appreciated here at the end of the year. Uh, Did you get your Spotify wrapped? I did get my Spotify wrapped. And I know this is (laughs) shocking, but I'm not an alchemist. (laughs) I am a hypnotist. (laughs) So, so yeah, they call me an alchemist because they said that I like to make playlists, which, yeah, okay, fair. What, What did they call you? I'm a hypnotist. They said, your concentration is absolute, friend. You like to play albums all the way through from the opening track to the final note. Okay. So... I have gotten to some of my utmost parenting breaking points driving in the car with my daughters when I allow them to pair their Spotify Mm -hmm. and they just play like a third of a song and then they go to the next one. (laughs) I swear I spent three years driving one daughter across town to Howard school and I would give her anything she wanted just to let the song play through. Just Mm -hmm. stop changing the music. Just let it play. Um, so Spotify like feels me, it, it knows me. <laughs> Clearly that, that would drive me insane too. Like to change the song partway through the song that would annoy me as well. But you listen to the whole album. It said, I do. I just, okay. Part of that is 
I feel like I'm a broken record here, but I'm not so good with music. So I don't actually know what to go listen to or where to find what I would enjoy listening. So, I mean, Taylor Swift's Folklore and Evermore are perfect examples because you have these favorite songs and people are, you know, repeating them like 500 times, just the song, but I'm just like playing the whole album 500 times from right. start to finish. <laughs> I just, it's not. And then I want to pick up exactly where I left off. Like, I don't right. want to listen to songs one through seven more than eight through 13. I don't actually know if it's 13 songs, but yeah, I, I do. I want to, um, and it's the same thing with the playlist. I want to play it all the way through and mm -hmm. then, or shuffle it, but make sure that it stops so that I know when I've played it all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I get where you're coming from with the playlist, like my holiday playlist, which I've been listening to almost nonstop since November 1st. Um, I, I always play that on random, but there are definitely songs on that list since November 1st that I've heard several times and songs that I have not heard once. It's 11 hour long playlist, by the way. Um, and so, so yeah, there, there's definitely a drawback to listening to playlists random relative to listening to them all the way through, for sure. Um, but you listen to more podcasts than you listen to albums, though, right? Like by a lot. By tens of thousands of minutes. So I think Spotify had me at about 61,058 minutes in total. Mm -hmm. Over 45,000 of those were podcasts. Right, right. So you listen to nearly three times as much podcasts on Spotify than you do listen to, to, to music. Yeah, that's correct. And I would say I also spend a significant amount of time listening to books on Audible, mm -hmm. which doesn't speak to Spotify. So that's kind right. of the only thing lacking in my Spotify wrapped. Mm -hmm. But it's way better than being one of these people that listens to some things on Apple and some things on Spotify, and then you don't get any <laughs> real year-end results. <laughs> right, right. Well, and and I think I mentioned this last year. I, I very much like like seeing the year-end results and that sort of thing. Um, and, and so much so that I got a family account so that I could get my wife out of my algorithms and, and I could see solely what it was I was listening to over the course of the year, uh, as opposed to what she was listening to. Um, but, but yeah, I, I listen to more music than podcasts. Um, but, but I may have cheated a little bit. My top artist was Taylor Swift again. Um, I was merely in the top 6% this year. You and I have both been the top 1% of her artists in the, or her listeners in the past, but I was merely in the top 6%. But that was good enough to get a personalized message from her in my <laughs> in my okay. Spotify, um, nope. which literally millions of people got. Um, I was uh, going to say, yeah. I dropped to 8% and I got the same personalized message. <laughs> I know this is shocking, but she was wearing the same outfit in mine as in yours. What? That can't be true. <laughs> I'm. They, they just cannot possibly be true. Um, my number two was the White Stripes. Um, my number three was Weezer. My number four was the Go Team. Uh, and then my number five was the Pixies. Um, now, I should admit, I may have cheated. Um, I, so, so two things. Last year... In looking at my top five artists last year, if you go back and listen to our top five or talking about Spotify rap this time last year, I didn't say who my top five artists were. And that's because there was one person in my top five artists who I shall not name that I was not proud to have in my top five artists, not because they're a bad musician, but because I didn't like them as a person. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this person is now in my top five. That's not something that I am proud of. And so I made a point to actually listen to that particular artist less this year. Um, but then if you take kind of a step farther, I also wanted to make sure that the top five that I got in the Spotify wrapped 
were in fact like people that I felt perfectly comfortable saying that I listened to a lot. And so I may, being the alchemist that I am, may may have made a playlist in about October called Hacking the Favorites List that you had those five artists on it. And I listened to that playlist fairly regularly over the course of the past couple of months of the year. George, I mean, cheating to skew the Spotify <laughs> playlist is a whole new level of like, I don't know if it's impressive or ridiculous or equally both. Did you really do that? I really did that. Now, I have obviously never even considered using performance-sensing drugs. I do not cheat on Zwift, even though cheating is rampant on Zwift. Um, you know, there's all sorts of other places where, where in my life, there are people who have cut corners and I have refused to cut corners, but for some reason, I really was concerned about who my top five were going to be. And so, yes, I hacked my favorites list. It's a good playlist, by the way, it has those five artists on it, about a hundred songs each from them. And I play it on random. Um, and I enjoy listening to that playlist because those are five of my favorite bands that I'm proud to say that I listen to. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Yeah, so I may that that may be considered Spotify wrapped cheating just a little bit. Um, I did not cheat on my songs. Um, I did not like try and 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 engineer it down to that degree. My number one song of the entire year, which I listened to roughly about sixty times, um, was "Wham" by uh, by ASAP Ferg, um, which is an Atlanta artist that uh, was on my twenty twenty three workout playlist. Uh, my second was Since You've Been Gone by Rainbow, which is a song that's like 40 years old. My third was Countdown by Beyonce, which has the line in it, um, uh, uh, London speeded up Houston Rocket, which is one of my favorite lines of the last several years and certainly applies to uh, my running the London Marathon last year and the Houston Marathon at the beginning of this year, along with a couple of friends of mine, including Katie Burke and Lindsay Weibel. Um, uh, then the sky children by kaleidoscope, uh, which was the first song on my workout playlist and then make your own kind of music by Cass Elliott, which uh, had a little bit of a moment on TikTok earlier this year. Um, that was also my workout playlist. You have to go all the way down to song number nine to get a song that was not on my workout playlist because I tend to listen to my workout playlist or other songs while working out, um, uh, most often on Spotify, using Spotify. Um, the second song that wasn't on my playlist was number 17. Um, and then you would also be interested, Michelle, that Waka Waka, your all-time favorite workout song, was all the way down at number 31, but still made the list. Still pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's going to be on my 2024 playlist for reasons we can discuss in just a minute, if you like. I'm a, I'm a big fan of that song, which I think I, every I repeat would. list knows. Um, yeah, so my artist, my top artist was Taylor Swift, and then second was Noah Kahan, but the top songs reversed. Um, so I had Stick Season by Noah as first. Um, and I, I'm still like a little bit of shock that he has become what he's become. Um, mm -hmm. I think it was like two years ago, we were going to go see him in this basement in like Nashville. Literally, mm -hmm. like nobody knew who he was or what he was doing. And he had a handful of songs, um, which are, are still some of the songs that I listen to the most now, but, um, it's, it's been cool to see somebody, you know, he's not like a teenager by any means, right. He's an adult. And, um, I don't know if he's the oldest person ever like nominated for best new artist of the year. He might be, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but it's, it's pretty cool to, yeah. Um, and Waka Waka was number three for me. Was it really? <laughs> <laughs> but I don't I don't like a lot of the time I don't choose it it's just there it right. just 
I mean, I'm not kidding. When we were on the cruise, I think I ran a three mile tempo on the treadmill. And at the hardest part of that, which might've been the like mile, like one and a half to two, I just hate that middle part. Then the song came on and I was like, oh, this is fine. Or I can finish this. Or maybe it was the last half mile or something. But that song is like, I have like a mental shift when I hear it. So it just, it appears, I think when my Spotify knows I need it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And if you have a mental shift, that means you have a physical shift given the, the, the link between the brain and the body. Right. Um, and so, so yeah, by all means, I am, I am supportive of your appreciating Waka Waka by Shakira, even though at this point, how old is it? It's like 15 years old now. Um, it was written for when the uh, probably time to find a new song. It was written for when the, the, the world cup was in South Africa. So, um, and as it happens, my target race is in South Africa next year, which we will talk about more on this podcast later on. But so you mentioned Noah Khan, he, he, that song that you like stick song, that was actually on the top 100 Spotify for the entire United States, which is pretty good. So I believe it. So clearly you were not alone in listening to, to him, which is good. Um, Yeah. My number one podcast I listened to on Spotify over the course of 2023 was the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast, as one might expect. But your top podcast was not the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast. In fact, Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast didn't even make your top five, Michelle. (laughs) So here's the deal. And we've explained this before um, at length. Part of the podcasts that are the most listened to podcasts, if a podcast released two to three times a week, every single week without fail, and I'm the type of person that listens to every single release of certain podcasts, no matter what we do, George, unless we quit our day jobs and become full-time podcasters, most pleasant exhaustion, just, it can't rank. Because we don't have enough minutes. There's too many. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's not like a... Don't take it so personally. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I just I just uh, use this as an opportunity to give you a hard time, of course. Um, but, you know, we're going to be talking about resolutions on this podcast uh, in a couple of weeks. And so next week, we'll have our gift guide um, that we've done in the past, and we'll do again here. And Eric will be joining us for that. And then um, we'll have resolutions in a couple of weeks to kind of wrap up 2023. Um, and we'll talk about reflecting on the year like our favorite things of the year and then of course what we're looking forward to for next year uh and so perhaps what you're saying is that one of my resolutions should be to quit my day job and to start putting more minutes into the most pleasant exhaustion podcast so that it can then break into your top five of the spotify wrapped i mean you might also have to interview for additional co-hosts but... <laughs> no i'm just kidding i mean we could try i just <laughs> but the competition is fierce it's fierce indeed. It's fierce indeed. Um, so very good. Very good. Um, it's always fun talking about what's going on in your Spotify. Um, and of course, we talked about it with our friend Allison Mercer. We were texting back and forth with her because she is also somebody who who pays a lot of attention to those particular statistics. And she is also someone who mentioned when we were talking to her last week on the podcast that she listened to this three-hour playlist um, and at least one person on Instagram had asked us for the playlist. A few other people had mentioned it to us and so we got the link. We posted it on Instagram um, and so if you listen to the playlist, by all means, let us know what you thought. I listened to the playlist earlier this week. Um, I listened to about the first two hours of it. I had a bike ride, then some strength work, and so I listened to it that entire time. 
and it is not my favorite playlist. <laughs> and I'm not I'm not like shocking Allison by saying this because she actually reached out to me and asked me if I'd listened to it. And I wrote back and said, yeah, I think you could have run about 15 minutes faster if you've been listening to a better playlist, Allison. But um, but it was it was some of the music on it was really good. And some of the music on it was was not as good. Um, it was made by a DJ, like she said. And so that means that that literally every 30 seconds, he's jumping in, saying his name, saying Atlanta, saying something else, saying the name of the mix. You know, like every 30 seconds, he's coming in saying something, which is annoying, but I understand that's part of the game. But probably the biggest thing about it was that, that like she said on the podcast, it was made in 2017 on Super Bowl Sunday, the, the the year that Atlanta played against the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. And at least every three or four minutes, he hops in and says, let's go Atlanta, win the Super Bowl. We need this. Come on. We got to have this. Let's win this thing. Like over and over and over and over. And knowing the way that that turned out... <laughs> And knowing not only that Atlanta lost that Super Bowl, but that it has become like this iconic moment in professional sports history of of a team making a comeback from being down three to 28 in the fourth quarter um, against the Falcons that we should have won that game, knowing how that turned out. That to me, if I was listening to that during a 50 mile race, that that would mess with my head a little bit. Um, I uh I consider that game quote a tragic commentary in our times. Like fair. <laughs> I don't know that there that any loss that any Atlanta team suffers from here until infinity um could ever be as bad as as that game. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And and of course in in New England fandom uh, oh. among the people who are fans of the New England Patriots it's like the greatest moment in franchise history. Right. Of course it is. It's it's the apotheosis of Tom Brady. Um, I was in a airport bar in the Caribbean somewhere, and I can't even remember where it was, but it was it was kind of random. Um, and and there was a sticker on the wall that said 328. And that's all it said. Um, <laughs> like if if you and I go run the Boston Marathon next year, which neither one of us is planning to do, there will un- invariably, undoubtedly be a sign somewhere on the course that says 328. Because people in New England find that inspiring, (laughs) which I get if I was on the other side of it, I would find that inspiring as well. Um, But but yeah, it's not inspiring to to us. It's the opposite of being inspiring to us. And so for him to pop on to the pod to the to the playlist every few minutes so and talk about how desperately Atlanta wants to win and talk about how much he wants us to win and knowing how monumentally horribly that turned out then then yeah it, it 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 definitely would mess with my head if i was listening to it but it didn't with mess with with, with allison's of course she uh, she ran brilliantly as we discussed at great length last week and we appreciate her coming on the podcast um but i guess the next time allison runs 50 miles if janice made part of her race plan build a new playlist and she ran 15 minutes faster then your hypothesis might be true absolutely <laughs> and and i tell you what i will happily volunteer for that very duty if she would like for me to do that, but I do not think that she will (laughs) (laughs) because I am after all an alchemist, according to, uh, to, to, to Spotify. I created a playlist yesterday for the group workout yesterday morning that has a theme. The Wednesday theme was songs that have whistling in them. 
Um, and then I will be having the artist of the week for tomorrow. We're recording on Thursday. And of course, the workouts on Friday. Uh, the artist of the week for this week is going to be the Spice Girls. Oh, I want that. No, I will happily send it your way once we're done with it. What what time are you going to be done with it? Uh, I mean, I, I have completed making the playlist right now. I just have to put it in order at this point so that it matches the workout. And how long is it going to be? It's about it's only about 40 minutes long. There's not a whole lot of <laughs> Spice Girls <laughs> to put on a playlist. <laughs> I'll take it when you're finished with it. All right, cool. I will send it your way. I will send it your way. Um, speaking of things that you and I both did or listened to, I don't know, that's a rough segue, but we're going to talk about the book of the quarter finally, um, uh, which I am excited to talk about. Um, and I enjoyed this book for as long as it took us to read this book. And as long as, as it took us to review this book, even though this was literally the book we choose, we chose for Q3 and we never got around to choosing a Q4 book and we won't since it's now December 7th. And we are literally just now reviewing the Q3 book. Something else we'll talk about when we do our resolutions in a couple of weeks. Um, um, I'm glad that we're finally talking about it. Yeah. The fact that it took us so long to review it should not be construed in any way that we didn't like the book, or at least when it comes to me. I can't speak for you, Michelle. You might feel totally differently, but it, it shouldn't be construed that we didn't like the book. Um, I thought it was good. Did you like it? I did like it. And I and I do just want to apologize because I think you were ready to have this review about a month ago. Um, and I, I, you know, I took it to Hilton Head in October. I took it on uh, a cruise <laughs> over Thanksgiving. I was really ambitious, but I finally just um, got a chance to get through it a few days ago. So I would say I thought it was super informative. And mm-hmm. it's one of these books that I'm really happy I read. Um, it's funny because I was like very heavily tuned into the to kind of the business side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you picked up on, a, you know, like one time you were like, well, wait till you read the part about, you know, <laughs> what Walmsley says when he, um, you know, how he conquered the course. And and I had already read that, but it's not like, it's not, it's, a, it's not first and kind of center in terms of what I think about the book when I think about having read it, but I am happy to yeah. have read it. Yeah. Well, so the book and is called The Race That Changed Running the Inside Story of UTMB by Doug Mayer. Um and and yeah, I agree with you. I think I think when I think about the book, if 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 you ask me for my one big takeaway from it, my one big reflection on it, it has to do with the business of UTMB. Um and and certainly we can kind of get into that and and some of the the insight that he brings there. Um and he brings a lot. Um uh, Doug Mayer is a, a guy, an experienced ultra runner who grew up in New Hampshire. Um, he went to a private school, a well-known private school there called Phillips Exeter, um, and, and then went on to Brown University. Um, he lives now in Chamonix, where the, the actual um, uh, UTMB starts and finishes. Um, and he founded a company called Run the Alps in 2014. He mentions that in the acknowledgement of the book at the very end. Um, um, you can, with Run the Alps with his company, you can actually go like out onto the UTMB course. Like imagine if you and I wanted to take a running vacation, um, we could hire him, we could hire his company to actually take us out onto the UTMB course or to other places in the Alps um, to actually you know, experience trail running in this very idyllic environment, right? Um, and he's run UTMB. Uh, he's run a few of the other races, some of which he's run more than once. Some of the other races that take place as part of the UTMB weekend. Um, and uh, and he clearly is a fan of 
trail running and UTMB um, uh, and the people, the founders, the Palettis, he's, he's, he's fans of them as well. Uh, but nonetheless, I think he does a good job of, of also kind of holding them to, to account for some of the things that they've done wrong um, or have been criticized for over the course of the past several years. Um, what are some of the things that stood out to you, Michelle? Um, you know, I think it's hard to read this book. I, I almost wish that I'd had the chance to read it um, before everything that just yeah. recently happened with right. Whistler, um, mm -hmm. because it's hard to read the book. And if you actually really understand, you know, when Iron Man first came into play, what the partnership was like, you know, when they were just like a small minority, you know, that um, when they actually came in as a bigger stakeholder, like the Pledis didn't actually make money off of that. Um, and the fact that like the Pledis really felt like all in all when they made this decision, um, that, of ev that of everyone who had come knocking, Iron Man, you know, really kind of met um, with their core ethos, mm -hmm. um, felt really genuine when you read it in the book. Mm -hmm. But I almost wonder if that part was too good to be true now that time has gone on and we see kind of what just happened with yeah. UTMB Whistler. So yeah. it's hard not to read the book in, in actual today's context yeah. of what's going on with the UTMB races um, and Ironman partnerships, you know, with bigger mm -hmm. um other bigger, I guess, businesses, so to speak. So, yeah. you know, I do think one thing that the book does a good job of is race directors have to make money, right? Like this mm -hmm. is at the end of the day, a business and it should be a business. And, and ultimately if these things aren't run like a business, they're not going to grow and the sport's not going to grow and we're not going to benefit from the sport growing. Right. So there's like a bright and a dark side to the business nature of the race. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'll just say as like a general thing is it is shocking to me how UTMB is only 20 years old. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's crazy if, yeah. you know, like in some ways these guys were uh, as naive of entrepreneurs as, as a naive entrepreneur gets, mm -hmm. but in other and ways- that, And that shows at times. Yes. Um, but in other ways- they really checked boxes um, mm -hmm. that I don't know if other race directors haven't had the opportunity to check or don't know that they could have these boxes to check. You know, it's hard to figure out why a race like UTMB became the race that it is, um, the impact that it has on the trail running world now. And then you have other races that are far more historic um, that are kind of still just homegrown. Yeah. Not yeah. nearly as towering as UTMB is over trail running internationally. So agreed. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. So this book, we should say this book came out earlier this year. It's copyright 2023. And so it is funny because I totally agree with you whenever it writes about the partnership with Iron Man and it and it spends a lot of time talking about that. And I, I appreciate it and, it. and it does a really good job of explaining it. And we'll talk more about some of those specifics here in just a minute. Um, it does feel different knowing this chapter that happened with Iron Man and with that Whistler race just only a month or so ago, right? Um, and and 
we talked about it on the podcast. And so I don't, I don't feel the need to actually rehash it and tell again what it is that happened there. We talked about that uh, a month or so ago on this podcast, right? When it was actually taking place. Um, but sort of in light of that, like you can't help but read his talking about the partnership with Ironman and their desire to try and maintain the values of trail running and the small town feel and create a meaningful experience for people and all these other sorts of things. Um, and that we're not gonna gonna you know fall prey to to uh, predatory um, profiteering and things like that, knowing that what just happened in Canada, <laughs> you know, and 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 that's such a clear that's such a clear negative incident, um, and and um, yeah, it, it kind of does cast a little bit of a pall over that whole big long section, very detailed and very fair, I think, section of the book. Um, for sure, even though the book's still pretty new. Um, yeah, I think to your second point, I think that one of the things that's so interesting about it is so, so it, it, it talks about the history of the race and it talks about how they kind of wanted to get the race going 30, 40 years ago. Um, and about how there were other races that, that preceded this one. There was originally a, which I think this is kind of hilarious. It was originally a relay. (laughs) It was like a four person relay. And then they're like, I think one person can do this. And so they make it into a single person race. Um, but, but it started off as, as a four person relay. And then it kind of died off for a few different reasons. And, and then eventually, because of the vision of these two people who lived in Chamonix and owned a record shop and, and were involved with like the local civic sporting club and stuff, eventually they were able to kind of get this race going. And so in some ways, the the owners, the Palettis, the people who founded the race are very kind of small town and they're very insular and they're very... Um, they're, they're very dedicated to to the long the, the sort of grassroots values of trail running for lack of a better way of saying it um in some ways they're kind of provincial and in some ways they're kind of um tunnel visioned right as as people who are small business owners come from a small town might also be but then you couple that with this real ambition that they have this real entrepreneurial ambition like as soon as they started this race as soon as they got it going they're like this is one of the world's greatest races. Let's make it huge. Let's, let's sell it. Let's try and create this world series of different races. Like, like they're super entrepreneurial, but they're also very small businessy and small towny. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, And I think that that's one of the things that creates this sort of weird feel around UTMB that, that, that they struggle with. And and it kind of creates a, a bit of an identity crisis here in 2023. Does that make sense? Totally. Um, yeah. Um, like one of the things I thought it was interesting when they were talking about how it's a, it grew very quickly into becoming this international event. And as soon as you have other people coming in from other places, they're bringing their culture and value and values to the race. And so they come in and they start saying, why do you have 10 men on the podium and only five women on the podium? That's yeah. a really good critique, right? Um, and and ultimately, the 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 woman who brought that to their attention and complained about it over and over again, just quit doing the race. And she was the winner of the race. She quit doing the race, essentially, kind of in protest of that. Um, and now they do have it, but it took them a while, right? Um, well, uh, you know, they they were real resistant to passing out prize money for a while because they thought that that prize money was not a good thing. Even though they wanted to have the best runners in the world, they weren't willing to give them any prize money for winning this epic 100 mile race that was essentially a de facto world championship. Um, they didn't have prize money until just really the last few years. Um, 
So, so yeah, I, I do think that's kind of sort of an interesting combination. Yeah. I mean, I'll say, you know, the interesting part about um, like female presence in terms of getting 10 women on the podium with 10 men, equal prize money and stuff like that is um, we know that just now Corinne Malcolm, who's been the commentator since 2018, mm-hmm. lost her position as a commentator. Her partner, Dylan Bowman, didn't. UTMB told her that she's too outspoken and she's the most mm-hmm. outspoken about giving women equal representation on the broadcast as men. Mm-hmm. She was one of the only people that stayed behind this year to make sure, you know, the top 10 women, the, the women that finished were called in in the same manner that the men were. And I think mm-hmm. she closed the media room down. If she wasn't by herself, maybe there was one other person with her, but almost the entirety of the UTMB staff went home. So that feels super disingenuous to to what it feels like this book says is both Iron Man and the Paletti's mission, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to, you know, making the race men and women equal. Mm-hmm. Um, participation rates are also still drastically lopsided, right? right? right. For every what eight men, there's two women. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. I don't I even think, know. I think I think, I think it's I think it's more like I think it's more 90, like eight to one. Yeah. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but you know to. So I think the book is is worth reading if you're, especially if you're interested in the business side of it. Um, but another thing that I thought was really relevant through the book, they did well, such so, a good So on, on the on the point, yeah. point real quick of Corinne, what's your last name? Malcolm. Malcolm. So Corinne Malcolm, they have lots of, they have lots of pages in here that are like, and here's a page with Jim Walmsley and here's what he has to say. Here's a page with Courtney DeWalter and what she has to say. Here's a page. And they have all these various people that have run the race a lot, kind of reflecting on the race. They have a page with her. Um, right. And, and she and she's talking about the race and and how it's like the Mecca and all that sort of thing. I didn't. But I didn't know what you just said, that, that they had actually let her go. Yeah. Because so she, she had spoken with some and, of the criticism of it. So that's interesting. She, she actually says in there something to the, you know, she came in 2018, an unsponsored athlete on her own money. And she says something, you know, like kind of supposed to be kind of sarcastic, but she said that was their worst mistake, right? Mm-hmm. Bringing me on uh, once I came in 2018 because yeah. I'm never leaving, right? right. She, for, at the time that this book was written and published a few months ago, and I think everybody would also assume she's just in that hot seat to be the commentator for all intensive purposes, you know, unless and until something happened to her, she decided to walk away, but she just found out within the last seven days, maybe 10 days. I think it's only been this a week that UTMB did not renew her uh, contract for commentating next year. So now there's on top of Whistler. Now there's even more of a public outcry against UTMB Ironman because she's, pretty, you know, she's really respected, yeah. um, in the trail and ultra running community. So <laughs> I think Doug did a good job in the book. It's just that every time it, it felt so genuine, the current events and, and what we know essentially kind of the history of, of when Iron Man takes control, mm-hmm. it's hard to kind of reconcile it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but where mm-hmm. I was going to go, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say he uses he has a whole chapter. He uses the 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 um, metaphor of an, an aret, um, which is yeah. a ridge. Um, and he said that that in a lot of ways, trail racing is kind of on this ridge, just like when you're running UTMB. 
um that that on the one side you have like the spirit of of trail racing and trail running and the the inclusivity and the appreciation for beauty and keeping things small and then the other side you have the business right and the money making all that sort of thing and you don't want to tumble down into either side um which sure. i agree with like I, I i totally agree with what you said just a minute ago that we shouldn't expect race directors to be martyrs we shouldn't expect race directors to be to be philanthropists like they do things that are that are meaningful and worthwhile um but yet we shouldn't expect them to do it for free um and so so but then once you kind of get down into that that other side that that business side then yeah sometimes choices can be made that are in fact contrary to some of the core values of of the sport and i think that 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 people are rightfully criticizing them for that um so so yeah i mean i i i like that idea of the arete of the ridge um and, yeah. and trying to find that balance and and they then they took the offer from iron man in part there are a few different factors going on there pandemic was one of the factors being close to the red was one or even in the red was one of the factors the fact that they thought that iron man was probably going to enter the space anyway and so they said well let me go ahead and and be on the same side with them rather than have them as competitor um that's but they really said, key also yeah i agree i agree <laughs> But but they also said one of the reasons why they chose Ironman as their partner, as opposed to Spartan um, or several other kind of big multinational sporting conglomerates, um, is because they felt like Ironman sort of lines up with their values. And I and I said this on our podcast of last month that that Ironman kind of grew out of this one big event and has created this sort of worldwide series and that sort of thing. And so it does seem like Ironman Ironman does seem to have good values. They tend to talk a good talk too but yeah sometimes these practices are just really make you wonder whether it's all just talk you know all right so i interrupted you and went off on some totally different tangent go ahead michelle um no i was thinking i hope for doug mayer that you know his book the the hindsight of the book isn't it was all just a bunch of bullshit but um mm-hmm. <laughs> because I, I do like the book i the other part i was going to say is as you said before the story weaves you know a bunch of different like the actuality of kind of the history of UTMB with uh, various athlete experiences over the last 20 years. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's something to be said about, you know, a big race, a 50 mile, a hundred mile, a big athletic achievement in life. And these endurance events, especially can really change a person. Um, But it feels like unequivocally, if you run UTMB and you complete that race, like everybody, you might hate the race, in the business side of the race, mm-hmm. but completing UTMB changes yeah. you. Agreed. Like these people are out of trail running, you know, a 2007, 2008 winner haven't competed in 15 years and can talk about the night they ran UTMB like it yeah. was yesterday. Yeah. Um. So there just must be something. And, and, and I say this almost getting chills. Like I, I mean, I think there's something about being in, in big mountains in general, but, but I just wonder could this have happened in the United States or is this really specific to those European Alps? Like, yeah, <laughs> could I don't this know. only there? Could this magic only exist? You know, I don't know. In the high mountains. But that is what the book felt like is, is these yeah. people. I mean, you can read race reports from all over the world, but yeah. these UTMB race reports are people's experience there are, it, it's different. Okay, I I have a lot of things to say about that. Um, first thing to say is that there are some anthropologists who have argued that that 
human beings wanting to be at the top of a hill is actually an evolutionary process or an evolutionary response to being unsafe when you're at the bottom of a hill. Right. Um, and that the way that that manifests itself in 2023 is that like the most expensive property is always the property that overlooks the city. Um, and, and even the way we name things, we name like like, you know, uh, Whitlock Heights, you know, like like it's supposed to be a fruitier name if it has something high in the name. Right. Like Heights or or Peaks or the Pinnacle or something like that. Right. Um, and so that's actually an evolutionary thing that suggests that, yeah, there actually is something that being high up and looking down on on the rest of things, there is something deeply wired inside of our brains that evolution has created that actually does create something different for us than we would if we were at the bottom of the mountain looking up. So that's one thing that, that, that I thought of as you said that, because I think that is an interesting point. Um you know, the, the the next thing I thought of is you know, the last chapter is it's basically like where he's wrapping up why it is that he's a he's a runner and why it is that that he likes trail running and that sort of thing. And he writes in there and I'm going to quote him here. He says, ultras like UTMB are about as pure a test as resilience as one can find. The race with its many climbs and big mountain weather takes every runner and puts him or her into a crucible. It's the hero's journey sped up. Launched into the unknown, we face challenges and hit physical and mental walls one after the other. If we push through, it can be transformational. One can leave Friday and return to the finish line Sunday, changed forever through suffering and elation, dumbfounded and at a loss for words to explain what just happened. Add in the local support of the 18 towns en route, the drama of a carefully choreographed event, and some of the world's most striking mountain terrain, and it is not an overstatement to say that UTMB can be life-changing." Unquote. I think he's I, I think he's right about that. I think that's true. And so even as you get so frustrated with UTMB, like the race itself is still kind of fog. <laughs> it's still kind of awesome, yeah. right? Like, yeah. like it's still kind of an amazing once in a lifetime life-changing experience here, certainly, right? Um, and then the third thing I thought of as you were saying all that is is again comparing it to Kona, comparing it to the side of the Ironman World Championship. Um, I was talking to somebody one time who the the first time they went to Kona, they were like, yeah, I know that Kona is iconic and everything, but the course is kind of garbage. And <laughs> and they're not nice. totally wrong about that. Um, that it's it's an out and back on the highway on both the bike and the run. Like it's, I mean, it's beautiful. It's Hawaii, right? Um, and you're going through these lava fields, which are kind of a, a mind-blowing landscape and certainly not something you see in most of the continental United States. But 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 I mean, it's not all that creative really um it's just an out and back on the highway for both the run and the and the 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 bike the swim is literally just an out and back into the ocean right yeah um and so so yeah utmb it feels like it has this place as this world series type event this aspirational event right um and it actually has the course to match, <laughs> you know, like, like you go, you go to, you go to Kona and you're like, all right, this is a hard race, but the course is kind of, eh. whereas you yeah. go to UNTB and you're not going to think that you're going to be blown away by, by the vistas that you're actually experiencing. And that's, I get the allure. I get the appeal of that. Certainly. Um, and, and I also get that I appreciate that they want to extend this to as many people as possible, you know? Like they want to, they want to spread trail running, not just UTMB trail running, or okay. maybe not just UTMB trail running, um, but just the benefits of running in general, of experiencing things, 
right? They want to inspire other people to to get off their couches. Yeah, I mean, I'm on board with that, you know? Totally. And and what I really love about um, the Pilates in general is, I mean, I think Michelle was 67 last year and he still towed the line. He, yeah. he finished in like 41, 42 hours. Mm -hmm. This is not somebody who just talks the talk. He is mm -hmm. out there literally, running you know, the running the run. Yeah. Um, so not only are they like, they're, they're the doers of it also. They're mm -hmm. not just kind of the spreaders of it. Right. I, I do wonder. They're, yeah. They're, they're not the, like the venture capitalists that have come in and taken it over and then are now trying to convert it to like, they're actually trail runners at the heart. Yeah. Right? It, it is actually really important. If you, if you read again, more of the business stuff, they never paid themselves. They paid themselves always at a manager level, not a CEO level. Right. So obviously the business is, you know, they made it a for-profit business, but I don't, I don't ever think that they were from the heart looking to quote unquote, get rich. Yeah. Right. I think yeah. they wanted to be able to provide this experience for other people, as many people as possible. Yeah. I think that too. Um, but that being said, like the, the Ironman business model, which they're adopting is one, that sort of predatory taking over of local races, right. Yep. Um, that we talked about at length last month and two, setting up a situation where the only way that you can get to the marquee event in this case, obviously UTMB is by doing other branded races throughout the rest of the world. Like yep. that's, you, you can't qualify for, for, for Kona. You can't qualify for the Ironman world championship without doing some other Ironman branded event. You can't do like some, some locally managed sprint triathlon or even 140.6 mile triathlon, and then use that as a way of saying, oh, well, I'm a great triathlete. You should let me into the world championship at, at, in, in Kona. Like you have to do an Ironman event. Um, and, so, and, and now that's what they're doing with UTMB. Um, and that's they new, sure like that, that, that always hasn't, that hasn't always been the case. Like you could potentially get to UPMB in the past by qualifying, certainly demonstrating that you could actually take on the rigors of this event. Um, but it didn't have to be a UTMB branded event. Now it does. Um, and so, so we say, and the, the integrate how they want to extend the benefits of ultra endurance mountain running to everyone. Well, they want to extend it to you if you're willing to do a few of their races first, if you're willing to pay them, you know, several hundred dollars and travel around the world in order to do their branded races, then you can have that experience. Um, and that does feel a little bit contradictory. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I do think it would be interesting to talk to Doug five to 10 years from now mm -hmm. and feel like if there is a book, the inside story of UTMB pre Iron Man, pre Stones pre what it is right now and what it's been for the last two years um, versus what it is now and what it's going to continue to become. Yeah. Cause I, you know, for an amateur runner who has a full-time job and isn't going to travel the country and you really almost need to travel the world um, to get a bunch of stones to get to, you know, the possibility of running UTMB. It's like, yeah, well, how much does it cost to fly to Paris? And can you do a self-guided tour of UTMB over three days and, you know, stay at hostels just to get the experience if you're probably never going to get to actually tow the line at that. Or, 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 or <laughs> and, and if we, we can get real cynical about this right now, but we're not going to, or go to Doug Mayer's 
website and book a trip with run the Alps. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and like you said, on my browser. It, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and, and like I said, we could get real cynical about that, that, that he was actually portraying it in such a way that to say that, yeah, we're not going to go there. Cause I don't think that's, that's I don't accurate. think, I don't think um, he was, I don't think so uh -huh. either. I don't think so either. But, but, but I, you know, you have said you, Michelle have said in the past on this podcast that you would rather, you've actually said it about UTMB that you would rather go to Chamonix and run on the trails and not take part in the event. And when you said that in the past, I never totally understood what you were saying. I, did, I, was, I was like, if you're going to go all the way over there and run, why would you not do the event? I think I get it more now. I think I get that better. Yeah. Now. I, uh, uh, I know somebody who, who did something. I mean, I know there's a bunch of people, but I, I'm, I'm definitely looking at it for, for July this summer. <laughs> so yeah. So I, just before things heat up in August or just before, you know, not heat what, up in August, not the weather, but like, Oh, before everyone, before everyone arrives in August. Town. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I'd be out of there by July 21st. So okay. I'm pretty specific about <laughs> looking into it, but we'll see. Um, cool. yeah, I just, I think it's a matter of if you really want this experience, what is the most realistic way that somebody like me is going to get it? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's actually cost wise it's it's just not that expensive to go if you can get to france and mm -hmm. to, if you can get up to the mountains um it's super cheap it's crazy cheap actually mm -hmm. <laughs> do it yourself stay in hostels you know take a i don't know 15 liter pack it's it's pretty cool um yeah so yeah, i don't know and and you know and, and one of the ways he finishes the book and there's a couple more things we want to say about it but one of the ways he finishes the book is by talking to a few people um, including some of whom are recurrent characters if you will throughout the book like this guy named Topher Gaylord for example who who was an early runner of the race and had a lot to do with with getting North Face to be the presenting sponsor for the first several years of the race um, but they're not anymore uh, now they're lined up with Hoka Oneone but. Um, which itself has a history with UTMB um, because one of the one of the founders of that company has run UTMB. But anyway, um, but but they quote him as saying this idea that the ultra running or that the mountain running or that trail running has to be this one thing and it can't be this other stuff. He says, I kind of feel that that's a non debate that that it should be a big enough tent to where you have people who want to have this big event with all the people cheering that goes overnight on a marked course and all these sorts of things like you should you should have space for that and you should have space for people who just kind of want to go out and do whatever it is on their own like like all mountain running trail running ultra running should have space for all of those different modalities um and and, and that's kind of what i think um and that's kind of what I, I i believe um which one of those i would most want to do i don't know um I, I would I far prefer to run the London Marathon than go for a 26 mile run in London. Uh, right. Uh, I'm sure. doing I'm doing the Comrades Marathon next year, which we will talk more about, which is, is the first time I'm saying it here on the podcast. I would far rather do the Comrades Marathon next year on June 9th than just do a 56 mile run randomly from Durban to Peter Maritzburg. So, I mean, I hear I, 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 I like the events, but but it, but I don't think you. You don't need an to event, do event to go play in the mountains. So you don't. Yeah, you don't. Um, <laughs> um, but, but, there should, aside, but, but, but there should be space for all those things, right? Sure. Yeah. 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 Since you announced your intentions to go to Comrades, you know, uh, <laughs> anybody who's counting I'm on signed you, up. 
along with 114 other Americans. They sent an email today that said, if you want to see the country list so far, here's the number of people. And so 115 people from the United States have signed up. But I think what's important for listeners, specific people in mind to know is anything else that you said that you were running in 2024 is a bit tentative. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And this no. is very, uh, like you might not go to Sacramento next December to run CIM. I may not. I, I am def- I am definitely not going to to Boston and Big Sur, which had been my original plan for the spring right. of 2024, um, which I had said on this podcast before. That was my plan for it. Uh, but my wife in September sat down and said, oh, no, that sounds boring. Let's go someplace cool. Let's go someplace fun. Um, she goes, haven't you always wanted to do comrades? And I was like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, George, everybody is shocked and speechless that your race plans changed for 2024. Uh, right. Yeah. And and but I will say this on that note, um, and I, I mentioned I've mentioned on the podcast, I've hired a coach, and it's very much with this in mind that if my body is going to make it 56 miles, that I need a coach to help me address some of the weaknesses literal and and metaphorical weaknesses that I have. Um, and so we're working on those sorts of things right now. Um, but yeah, for the first time since 2019, I'm actually like backing out several months of training and pointing towards just one specific goal. The last time I did this was when I was training for Tokyo in 2020, which of course was canceled. And then I ran Los Angeles instead. Um, and and I, I haven't actually just had like a long... 24 week build um like said this is the big targeted race and we're going to back out everything from that i haven't done that this since 2019 so it's been four years literally almost exactly four years um and it's good and it's going well and i feel good about it and so i feel like i'm moving in the right direction yeah very exciting um so i'm excited too that's nice of you to say michelle because i i've i've never gotten emotional signing up for a race before and I may have shed a tear or two signing up for comrades, given that it is the one race that I've always wanted to do. So, and we better move on quickly because I'm about to get emotional right now. Um, <laughs> so one last thing we'll say about the book here. Um, so in the book, um, uh, they also, as I kind of said before, they have a page where they'll say, here is what Jim Walmsley has to say about it. And here is what, what Courtney DeWalter has to say about it. It has a much longer and much lengthier piece with Killian Jornet because, um, because he actually wrote the, the prologue to the book, um, and evidently spent a lot of time with Doug Mayer actually talking about the race itself. Um, but it's cool because Doug Mayer, even though he's the author, he literally gave entire pages over to all these athletes where they wrote what they wanted to write. Right. Um, and I particularly liked being the American fan that I am. I particularly like the Jim Walmsley section. I particularly like the, uh, the Courtney DeWalter section. Um, and so the Jim Walmsley section, um, he talked about how uh, UTMB, uh, two things I thought were cool in him. One, he talked about how you have to sort of figure a race out. Um, yeah. and, and at the time that he wrote this, it was before he won in 2023, he wrote that he hadn't figured it out yet. He said, Western States, I figured that race out. And he has, certainly. Right. Um, but he said, yeah, I just haven't figured out UTMB yet. Um, and so I'm working on it and still trying to figure it out. And I think that's just sort of a sort of a cool approach to think about like trying to figure a race out. I like that, that articulation, you know, I, I, I would say that it's even more special knowing what happened this year at yeah. UTMB for Jim, yeah. that he went there and he moved there and he set up his life there to try to figure out how to run in the European mountains. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what he did. Yeah. Like he yeah. figured it out. Yeah. But, it, so but he cool. didn't figure it out immediately because he moved there oh. actually before the 2022 race. Right. 
Um, right. And, I mean, he, and that he, race he, didn't go he, well. Yeah. Right. But he gave himself very little time before the 2022 race. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when he went over there, I think he, it, it wasn't, oh, I'm going to have this six week stint in the mountains and I'm, and I'm ready to go. I think it was, mm-hmm. okay, I'm just going to stay there until I get it right. And yeah. Yeah. And he got it right. <laughs> and and he immer- he says he immersed himself in like a different culture and a different way of training and stuff like that. Like he mentions uh Francois Dehaene, uh the Frenchman who's won UTMB more than once, and he says that 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 guy trains on the bike a whole lot. And and I say that not only cuz I train on the bike a whole lot, but but like that notion is is not something that's really considered to be all that uh, in style in American trail ultras and American trail and ultra running. Um, and, and so he not only went there to figure out the race, but also went there to figure out how it is that the people who have been successful in the race train differently from him. I think that's cool. Um, I, I, I I love that experimental approach. He basically learned how to power hike, Mm -hmm. which is clearly important for you. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, and the the pictures of him that accompany the page that, that he's on actually shows him, there's a picture of him just sort of smiling, uh, but then both of the pictures he's power hiking. Yeah. (laughs) This is a guy who's run, you know, under one Oh five for, for, uh, for, for half marathon in recent years who qualified for the 2020 Olympic marathon trials on the roads. That's um, not going to help you win UTMB. Um, So evidently not. And that's what he ultimately (laughs) decided. Right. Um, But then he also the other thing he said that I thought was cool is he said, and I think this is true for for running in general. And this is circles back to what we were saying before about what running can do for you. Um, He said, I see UTMB as a catalyst. It's a goal I'm using to help push myself as an athlete and as a person. It's a centerpiece that I'm fixated on for right now. Um, and so I, I, you know, if, if running, if ultra running, if mountain running, whatever it is, is the thing that inspires you to be a better person. Um, yeah, that's great. I'm on board with that. I, I obviously like that a lot. And that's, you know, people ask you and me all the time, why is it you run? Well, my, my, my stock answer is that I do think it actually makes me a better person. Um, and that's essentially kind of what he's saying here too. Um, and then the other one I really liked was from Courtney DeWalter, um, where, and this, this again gets to, to what we talked about before and what I'm kind of torn about when it comes to UTMB and Ironman and all that. She said, UTMB has made more people aware that ultra running is a sport. Plus, it's gotten people thinking that just maybe it's something that they can try. To have someone start dreaming and scheming of running 100 miles when maybe eight years ago they didn't run at all or thought that it was impossible. Well, that's pretty cool. Getting more people thinking, oh, I could try something hard. And seeing more people getting out on the trails, I think all of that is positive. I agree. Yeah. You know? um, and I and I and I, I like that and I appreciate it because yeah, I think that's what running can do. And and I can't be mad at the Pilates or Iron Man or anybody else for trying to inspire people to do things that are meaningful and worthwhile and that may, as Jim Walmsley suggested, spark change in other aspects of their life in a positive way, right? Yeah. Um just the, the final thing, just in general, if you want to read the book or if you're on the edge, the pictures are great. Yeah. Right. It's a, it's got diagrams and, and real life pictures and it's a, it's yeah. a good, easy, a good, easy read. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I agree. I'm a big fan of this book. I think it was good. A good read. I do too. Anybody who's planning to run UTMB should read this book. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. Yeah. I mean, not only because the pictures are going to fire you up and not only because it's good to know the history of the event that you're doing, but but um, it's almost like a field guide 
like talking about all the different and you have all these people who have won it and run it and figured it out, like talking about how to run it well and giving you advice about how to execute your race. And yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's a cool it's a cool, cool book filled with great pictures and great literal like graphics. They have all these like various charts and different maps and stuff that that are super helpful in in visualizing and ultimately conquering the race. Um, So, yeah. I think it's great. I very much enjoyed it. It's it's probably ultimately if it was just like a straight book, it'd probably only be only about a hundred pages long. Yeah, for sure. Right. <laughs> you know? um, um, but uh, but as it is, it's about two hundred pages long because it's filled with full color, beautiful photos sure. and and lots of different graphics of participation numbers and and things like that. So my, very cool. My main reason for making that comment is because if you lament the fact that you can't listen to it, just know that it's purposeful to buy yeah. the book and read it. The pictures are worth it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Somebody reached out to me a month or so ago and said, said, what was the book of the quarter? I want to try and get it on audible. And I said, it's this. And they said, Oh, it's not an audio book. Yeah. Um, it's because it it would lose something as an audio book, I think for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Michelle, I appreciate you reading it and I appreciate you reviewing it with me. It was fun. Yeah, it was fun. We'll have to go back to the drawing for next quarter's book. <laughs> That's right. Well, we're going to have to go back to the drawing board for, for books of the quarter in general. Uh, do you remember that one of Eric's resolutions last year um, to finish 2022 was, I'm going to read all the books of the quarter. Fail. Fail. We're going to have to think about how we do this. I do. I did like this book and I'm, I'm glad that we read it together. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we're going to need to think a little bit more about how we approach the books that we read here moving forward. Sounds good. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you guys later. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasant podcast, on Twitter at pleasant podcast, on Instagram at most pleasant exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Be sure to share us with your friends. Blue Pineapple Travel can be found at bluepineappletravel.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, or on Instagram at bluepineappletravel. We're also proud to be sponsored by Elemental Altitude, Atlanta's best and only altitude training facility. You can find them at elementalaltitude.com, on Instagram at elementalaltitude, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash elementalaltitude. And finally, High Echelon. You can find High Echelon at highechelonctpa.com. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. We'll see you next time.